Zechariah chapter 8, and uh, I was going to read 18 and 19, but I think I'll just drop down to 20. The pastor who brought me the gospel had some very, very good instructions about the scriptures. He said, if you don't have a lot to say about a passage of scripture, step over it, come back later when the Lord shows you something about it. So we're going to do that with verses 18 and 19, and we're going to pick up with verse 20. The book of Zechariah chapter 8, and I'm just amazed at what blessings the Lord has for us here in this chapter of the book of Zechariah. The whole book has been a glorious study, but here in the 8th chapter, these last few verses, we have the fulfillment of some of the promises of the Lord of hosts that uh, we may have witnessed some of this in our own life, but we notice in the past a great deal of it, and it may be in the future. We don't know. But it tells us here in the book of Zechariah, chapter 8, verse 20, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, it shall come to pass. Now, I I was just considering that statement that is recorded for us here in the book of Zechariah, chapter 8, and there in verse 20, it shall come to pass. Now, we're going to read about some of the things that the Lord mentions here that's going to come to pass But the amazing thing about it is that everything that the Lord ever said shall come to pass, it shall come to pass. It will not be detained by events, it will not be detained by people, it will not be detained by time, it will not be detained. What the Lord of hosts has to say shall come to pass. When the Lord of hosts speaks, it shall be fulfilled. And it doesn't matter what seems to appear to us. The Lord of hosts, words will be fulfilled. And what we think about the state of things, that doesn't matter. It isn't us that is going to direct the will of God. I heard a man yesterday saying he had been very sick, but a lot of people prayed for him, and now he's well. Well, that's not the reason he's well, is a whole bunch of people prayed for him. Because God is not going to be moved by prayer. He's not going to be moved by the number of people that are praying or the few people that are praying. He encourages all the saints to pray and to pray continuously and to pray for one another. But he's not going to be moved by our prayer in changing his mind about something. That's just, uh, well, we don't want a God like that. And the God of the Bible is not like that. He's not going to change. I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. So our very... Uh, well-being in salvation is based upon God changing not. Well, the Lord of hosts has spoken, and it shall come to pass. His multitudes of lost sheep, and we're going to see that happening in these three or four verses in the latter part of chapter 8, we're going to see that the multitudes of lost sheep shall be brought to him, because he has said, it shall come to pass. I'm going to be bringing people out of these places. I'm going to be bringing people out of these situations, but they are going to come to me. That's a glorious thing about the salvation that we have in Christ, that he meets us where we are, but he doesn't leave us where we are. He doesn't leave us in that condition. He brings us out of that condition. He he meets us there, just like he had the... uh, 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 Philip meet the Ethiopian eunuch where he was 
Well, God used Philip. He was the, Philip was the spokesman for the Lord of hosts, and he moved on him to go there, and he spoke to that Ethiopian eunuch where he was. But he didn't leave him there. He didn't leave him in that condition, didn't leave him with the th- same thoughts or the same God that he had when, he, uh, when Philip arrived. We find that his multitudes of lost sheep shall be brought to him, and the church shall rejoice in this. The Lord of hosts has spoken. It shall come to pass. And it's difficult for you and for me to comprehend that in Papua New Guinea, now I mention this because Brother Lance Heller has been with us and shared with us some of the work that's down there, when they have a conference, a sovereign grace conference, can you imagine making enough room for 600 people? 600 people. Now, that may have happened in England two or 300 years ago. It may have happened in the United States two or 300 years ago. But here, if we can have a Sovereign Grace Conference and there's 100 or 150 people, we think, hallelujah. And here in the Dallas, when we get 30 or 40 or 50 people together, we say hallelujah. But can you just imagine that the Lord has worked there in Papua New Guinea in such a manner that they can have 600 people show up to a, a conference? Now, I would... I wouldn't be so bold to say that they're all saved. That would be foolishness. But there is some interest there. How, how glorious that is. The Gentiles shall be added to the church, and it shall increase greatly. When the Gentiles were brought into the church, the church increased greatly. And in the Gentile world, they shall come and hear the word and believe in Christ and join together in the gospel church. So... We have these words of the Lord spoken to us here in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 20. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, it shall come to pass that there shall come a people and the inhabitants of many cities. God has spoken it, and it shall take place. And he will bring his people out of the farthest reaches, wherever they are. Now, they might be right here in the Dalles or right where you live, but to them at that point, they are in the farthest reaches because we by nature are enmity against God, and we will have nothing to do with Him. We'll have everything to do with religion and a God. Would you turn, keep your finger right here. We're going to be back here in just a moment. But would you uh, turn with me over to the book of Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts chapter 2, as we think about the Lord speaking, and um, here in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, as the messages went out, We know it as the day of Pentecost. You know, Pentecost was a feast day for the Jews. It wasn't something created by some people today to have a Pentecostal meeting. It was was a feast day. It was ordained in the Old Testament. And they were there to commemorate that they were there to be religious. Let's just be plain with it. They were there to be religious. And here on this day... God ordained that there would be 12 preachers preaching the gospel in the languages of the people that were present there. And it gives us a list of them. But notice here in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, those preachers were preaching the gospel because those people said, we hear the word of God in our own language. And the word of God is the gospel. That's what they were preaching, was the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. I bring to you good tidings of great joy. And that's what the gospel is. So here it tells us, Then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 
Can you imagine that group of people that were gathered there in Jerusalem that day and to see this multitude brought in? Why? Because the Lord of hosts shall said, It yet shall come to pass. And God ordained this great event on this day when a whole bunch of religious people were there and God brought the gospel to them and there were 3,000 of them brought out of that religion and brought to Christ and he brought them out of that place where they were. That's the glorious thing about Christ. He does not leave us where we were. He brings us out. Now we may be in the same town and we may live in the same house. But when God saves us, he does not leave us as he found us, because God is greater than that. He is going to bring us out to a place. Now, if you'd step back over there into the book of Zechariah and read with me that next verse, verse 22. In Zechariah chapter 8, verse 22, we've already heard him say, there in verse 20. Uh, Verse 20, he says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, it shall come to pass that there shall come the people and the inhabitants of many cities. Now verse 21, And the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. Verse 22, Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord. You know, this is just totally against the natural estate of man, is to seek the Lord. In fact, we find the Lord said, He looked down from heaven to see if there were any that did seek after Him, and His commentary, His word on the whole thing was, None were seeking Me. So something has happened here. God has worked the work of grace here. He has been gracious to a people that for all their life long, they have been an adversary, they have been... uh, 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 against God, they have been uh, grievously um, against God, and He has been merciful to bring the gospel to them, and that He would give them the new birth and bring them out of the place that they were in. It says there in verse twenty-one, the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, "Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts." I will go also. Now, what a statement is found here as as we find that these people were brought to a place where they no longer were attached to the gods or the idols that they had been attached to. Now, God does such a wonderful work that he detaches us from that which we were attached to by nature. Whether it be the invention of our own mind or the invention of someone else's mind or we just come to some conclusion how God's going to save us if if our good works outweigh our bad works, he's going to take care of it. Well, we find out that when God saves his people that they have a totally different attitude towards their former thoughts. My thoughts were not God's thoughts at all. And then we find out that God has a word and his word to us is I will save you by my grace and lift you out of the pit that you're in and you will come to me, thus saith the Lord of hosts. It shall happen this way. Well, turn with me, if you would, over to the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians again, chapter 1 and verse 9. We've read this several times in our study of the book of Zechariah and also over there in the book of Numbers. But if you'll turn there with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. The inhabitants of one city shall go. Now, we see in this verse that God's work does not leave us where we are. 
yet he does not leave us there. He finds us there. He, he brings the gospel there, but he does not leave us there. He is the Lord that is where we are brought. And since he is the Lord of hosts, he has the power to do all of that. Just as we read here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and verse 9, as the Apostle Paul recounts, and how often we need this to recount, what did God do for us? Recount what God did when he saved us. Recount when he brought us the gospel. Recount where we were when he found us. Recount what he did with us after he found us and gave us the new birth. How he brought us out of that. Well, here in 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul is used to recount this. And there in verse 9, it tells us this. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord. Excuse me. Verse verse 9. For they themselves show unto us what manner of entering in we had unto you. Now, this is a demonstration of what happened when God brought the gospel. Now, those who hear the gospel, because God unstopped their ears and opened their eyes so that they could hear the gospel and see Christ, this is going to happen. Now, not, not everybody that gets religious gets this. Not everybody that goes through a form gets this. Not everybody that hears the gospel gets this, but here's what happens to those who do. I'm not leaving you where you are. I have power to bring you out of that spot. I have power to bring you out of that religion. And that's the Lord of hosts. He has the power to do that. For he says here, we had unto you, and how ye turned to God. What, what gracious activity God performed when he turned us and we shall be turned. We were turned to God. We never had that turning in our religion. We never had that turning by our natural birth. We never had that turning by all the pleadings we may have gone through, all the religious activities that we performed. We never had that turning. We were still turned to our own self and to our own devices. And it goes on and tells us here in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, how you turn to God from. Now God does not leave us there. He does not leave us in that position. He turns us to God. Now, as I said, we may live in the same community, live in the same house. We may have the, the same family and everything else. But there has been something that God has miraculously done for us. He has turned us to God. What? What from? From idols to serve the living and true God. And when we study about the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the Lord of the armies of heaven and earth, that Lord has power to turn us and to turn us to God. Turn us to God from our old self, from our old idols, from our old position that we were in. That Ethiopian eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Why? Because he had been taken for, from the very clutches of religion and brought to Christ. He had been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and placed in the kingdom of his dear son. That's what God does. And he has promised to do that to every one of his lost sheep. And he will be faithful to do it to bring every one of his lost sheep out of the place that they're in to bring them to Christ and put their idols behind them. Now, we're going to go back to the Old Testament for two or three readings. So if you join me in the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, there in chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. Now, Isaiah is the gospel. Just like Song of Solomon and Psalms and Proverbs 
It's the gospel that God saves his people from their sins by the grace of God, by the blood, shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here in the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, we have this message given to us, in, beginning with verse 17. Now, it would be well if I read the whole chapter, but you know, you're going to have to do that. <laughs> you read this whole chapter. But notice here, in verse 17 of Isaiah, chapter 2, it says, And the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be made low, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Now what's that say about God's activity in his elect? What does that say about God's activity in those he saves? He takes our loftiness and humbles us. Why? Because he's going to be exalted in that day. He is the one. And God's people get to say, I'm trusting Christ and Christ alone because he's exalted. He's been exalted in us. He's been exalted around us. He's been exalted in our thoughts, in our mind. He's been exalted as we read the scriptures. He is the sum and substance. He shall be exalted. And then notice here in verse 18, and the idols he shall utterly abolish. What's that mean? He's going to turn us away from them. We're not going to be looking to these things for our salvation. You know, if we do, if we're we're separated between God and these things, God and works, law and grace, if we're separated here, we have a problem. God has not done a work if we have that issue. Because I, uh, the scriptures say, God says, I will take you from those idols. I will move you out of them. As it says here, in the idols he shall utterly abolish God's people no longer have any interest in any of those things that we once did for our salvation. Now, we're still sinners, but saved by grace. Going on here, it says, And they shall go into the holes. This is where these idols will go. They shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth for the fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake terribly the earth. When God saves his people, these things are going to be scattered. They're going to be taken away. We're not going to be worshiping these dumb idols. We're going to be worshiping Christ. We're going to be looking at his word with an absolutely new thought about it, a new mind. God's going to reveal his son in the word of God. We're going to find him in types and shadows and pictures. And we're going to come to the conclusion that the gospel in the Old Testament and the gospel in the New Testament is exactly the same gospel. He hasn't changed it. Well, as we look again in the book of Jeremiah, would you turn with me to the book of Jeremiah? Just one book further, chapter 16. Chapter 16, and there in verse 19. Chapter 16 of the book of Jeremiah, verse 19. O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth. And shall say, surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity and things wherein there is no profit. What a change has taken place in the hearts, the minds of people, Gentile people, you and I. When we find out, we look back and say, you know, our fathers believed a lie. They worshipped dumb idols just like we were doing. 
And now God in His graciousness has brought us out of that. Why? Because the Lord of hosts has decreed it. He will not share His glory with anyone. Why do we find over there in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the last verse, he says, For he that glorieth, glory in the Lord. That's where it is. All right, there is a a verse in uh, the book of Zephaniah. Would you turn there? It's a a little gospel book. We, you know, religion calls them the minor prophets. We call them the gospel according to Zephaniah. Little minor book. The book of Zephaniah, and it's only three chapters long, and I want to go to the second chapter. The book of Zephaniah, chapter 2, verse 11. The book of Zephaniah, chapter 2, and verse 11. The Lord will be terrible unto them, for he will famish all gods of the earth. He doesn't have any cotton to it. He doesn't have any... He doesn't give him any room. There's, there's no place for him. The gods of the earth. You know, the attitude, the, the thoughts that we have by nature about God's sovereignty, about a holy, high and lifted up God, a God that does as he pleases, to whom he pleases, when he pleases. We don't have any cotton to that in our nat- natural uh, thought about God. But that is a major part of the gospel, is that the gospel is about a God that is great and mighty and powerful, and that he deals with other gods as he sees fit. He does not, now he's going to leave many with a strong delusion, but to his people, he brings them out of the delusion. He says, and for he will famish all gods of the earth, and men shall worship him, every one from his place, even from all the isles of the heathen. He's going to have people worship him. Now, those people down in New Guinea, if they're worshiping God, they're worshiping the same God that you and I worship. <laughs> they're worshiping him. And you talk to Brother Lance about the people down there and the gods that they have by nature. Well, we, you know, religious people kind of mock them because they have all of these strange idols. But really, religion has all strange idols. And it isn't really strange to us until God saves us and, and causes them to scatter. We find out what we were actually worshiping. Usually it's ourself and a God of our imagination. But God is so gracious to bring us out of that. Even as it says here, God will be terrible unto them and will famish all gods of the earth. I'm thankful that God took away the God of free will. That God took away the God that I had that... I, I can get God to do things I want Him to do. All of those things that we have, that it's up to me, it's up to, uh, I have to initiate. All these things we have in our mind by nature, and yet we find that God has decreed, He has declared, He has purpose to save a people, and He will make sure that they hear the gospel. Why? Because He is sovereign. And His word is great and powerful. And that He is Almighty God. So, he can do this with our gods. He can send them asunder. He can cast them about. He can put them behind us. And we are given the privilege of worshiping the Lord God Almighty. 
without reservation. We have all our salvation is based upon His righteousness and His righteousness alone. We have no dependence upon ourselves. We don't, we don't trust ourselves with anything that would uh, produce anything spiritual. Every spiritual thought we have comes from God. Every spiritual work that we do comes from God. Everything is from God. And so we just relish and delight in that, that He would take all of these things and put them behind us. <coughs> in the book of, of Acts chapter 9, travel with me over to the book of Acts chapter 9 if you would. This is the account of the salvation of Saul of Tarsus. Now there was a man that God came to in the book of Acts here, Acts chapter 9, verse 13, Acts chapter 9 and verse 13, and uh, you know, we've we mentioned this and heard a number of lessons recently about this, it says, and Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, this is that Lord of hosts that we read about over there in the book of Zechariah. Lord of hosts is mentioned oh so many times in the book of Zechariah. That's a name of God in the book of Zechariah. Mentioned many places in the Old Testament, but so many in the book of Zechariah. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. Isn't it interesting to just consider that God had his ministry already decreed before the foundation of the world before he ever saved that guy? This is what he will do. I will take away all his idols. I will take away Judaism from him. And we find that the Apostle Paul, when he brought the messages of grace to all the, in all those letters that he was used to write, God gave him the privilege of declaring, as God gave him the words to utter, to declare that all of that was dung. What did God do? Turned him from dumb idols to God. Well, goes on to say, He is a chosen vessel unto me to bear the name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of the earth, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So this, this man, Ananias, complied when the Lord said he is a chosen vessel. What's he saying? He's one of my elect, just like you're one of my elect. He has been saved by the grace of God. Go over there. And he went over there. But we notice God changed him. God took him out, took Saul of Tarsus out of that wicked religion of Judaism, law-keeping, legalism, and maybe even a little bit of law and grace. But he did not leave him there. He brought him completely out of that. In the book of, uh, in the book of um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the statement is made here to us Gentiles. A statement is made to us Gentiles. And really, this applies to everyone God has ever saved. It tells us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual. Now if you notice that word gifts is in italics. Uh, how much has been made out of that one italics word. <laughs> 
And it's not what he's talking about. He's talking about spiritual. Concerning spiritual, brethren, I would not have you be ignorant. Ye know. Now he's taking them right back to where they came from. God did not leave them there. He brought them out. Why? Because of his power. He's powerful. He's able to do what he said he will do. Ye know that ye were Gentiles. What? Carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. You were carried away unto these dumb idols. One generation produces another generation, produces another generation of foolishness and religion, and yet when we're in it, we don't think it's foolish. We think it's right, as even Saul of Tarsus thought he was doing God's will. Well, Paul writes here under inspiration, he says, Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. What does happen in, in religion that, that, that these people have been taken out of? What happens there? They call Jesus accursed. How do you do that? He's not sufficient. I must help him. His word isn't enough. I must help him. That's calling Jesus accursed. And it goes on to tell us here, he says, No man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. And only after we're saved do we really mean that, that he is Lord. So God does so much for us. He brings us out of such a place, brings us out of such a horrible pit. And how wonderful it is that the Lord would do this for his people. And he tells us there in the book of Zechariah, chapter 8, he says, the Lord of hosts has decreed this, has purposed this. Let's go back over there to the book of Zechariah for just another reading because we're going to look at another verse here and how glorious it is. We're not going to finish this verse. There's so much in this verse of Scripture. But in the book of Zechariah, uh, chapter 8, and there in verse 23, and let's just back up here for just a moment. It tells us here in verse 20, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, it shall yet come to pass that shall come there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities. That's going to happen. And he's done that. He's done that today. He did that yesterday. He's going to do that tomorrow. Wherever he's pleasing, he's going to be calling his people out of these places. And verse 21, And the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts, I will go also. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. What, a, what an event takes place in them that they, they would quit worshiping idols. They would turn to God and quit worshiping idols, quit worshiping the God of their imagination or a stone God or a painted God or whatever it is that God would take care of that. No nation, no people, no tribe has anything on anybody else when it comes to religion. Some may be more gruesome. Some may be more heinous. Uh, we can, but our judgment. But they're no different than what we worship by nature and what God had to save us out of by, by His great work of grace, by the preaching of the gospel, by the new birth, that He takes us out of that religion and gives us the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as we drop down here now, verse 23, notice this with me. I want to read the whole verse, but we're just going to deal with a little part of it tonight. There is so much here. 
Thus saith the Lord of hosts. One more time, the Lord of hosts speaks. And this is the God of heaven. This is the Lord God Almighty. This is the, this is the Lord of, of armies. He is wanting us to know, as he speaks these words here in the book of Zechariah or anywhere else throughout the Bible, this is my word. This is my word. I want you to know that this is my word. Respect it. Honor it. And he says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Now this is not talking about any Jew. This is talking about the Jew. This is talking about Christ. He's the only one that truly has God with him. And we have God with us because of Christ. We're in Christ. We, that's the reason we have it. So let's, let's just think about this for a moment. There, is, there are great benefits resting on the sure mercies of another. Now I want to say that again. There are great benefits resting on the sure mercies of another. Especially resting on Christ. Now I want to read two or three examples in the Old Testament when people realized that there's somebody that might be merciful to them. Might be merciful. Oh, we need mercy. Lord, God be merciful to me a sinner. Now the first one I direct your attention to is found over in the book of 1 Kings. In the book of 1 Kings, you know, as we read through the Kings and Chronicles, we find that so often there's an army coming up against Israel or coming up against Judah. This happens to be against, against uh, uh, Israel at this time. In the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 20, 1 Kings chapter 20. And I want to begin reading with verse 26. Now, once again, I should read this whole chapter, but I'm going to leave that to you. You have an assignment. Read the whole chapter of the book of 1 Kings chapter 20. And once you do that, read verses or chapter 19 and verse 20, chapter 21. And uh, just spend some time there. But notice this. The Syrians had come up prepared to fight with Israel, and they had outnumbered Israel by a whole lot. And it came to pass at the return of the year that Ben-Hadad numbered the Syrians and went up to Apek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were numbered and were all present and went against them and the children of Israel pitched before them like two little flocks of kids but the Syrians filled the country. Now just a comparison, if you looked at how many were on your side and how many were on the other side, Two little flocks, and the Syrians filled the country. Doesn't look good. And there came a man of God, and spake unto the king of Israel, and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but not God of the valleys, therefore will I deliver all this great multitude in thy hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord." What a demonstration of the almighty power of almighty God to Ben-Hadad the king here at this time. 
Now, this is not where we're going because we want to find out about some Syrians that are caught in the crossfire. You know, they're the enemies of God, were we? They're the enemies of Israel. Yes, we were. We were enemies of the church. Saul of Tarsus was an enemy of the church. He was an enemy of Israel, spiritual Israel. And it tells us there, verse 29, And they pitched one over against the other seven days, and so it was that the seventh day the battle was joined, and the children of Israel slew of the Syrians a hundred thousand footmen in one day. My goodness. But the rest fled to Apec, into the city, and there a wall fell upon twenty and seven thousand men, and left, and were, and uh, excuse me, and seven thousand men were left. And Ben Hadad fled and came into the city, into the inner chamber. And his servants said unto him, Behold, now we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Let us, I pray thee, put sackcloth on our heads. Now I've heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Now what do they do? It says, Let us, I pray thee, put sackcloth on our heads and ropes upon uh, on, a, on our loins and ropes upon our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Peradventure he will save thy life. Now, what do these guys do? They recognize where they are is not very good. And so they come with sackcloth and they have ropes, ropes around their necks. You know, that king had every right to hang them if he pleased. But let's go on. So they girded sackcloth on their loins and put ropes on their heads and came to the king of Israel and said, Thy servant Ben-Hadad saith, I pray thee, let me live. And he said, Is he yet alive? He is my brother. And now the men did diligently observe all things would come from him, and did hastily catch it, and said, Thy brother ben Hadad. And he said, Go, ye bring him. Then Hadad came forth to him, and he caused him to come out into the chariot. And ben Hadad said unto him, The cities which my father took from thy father I will restore, and thou shalt make streets for thee in Damascus, as my father made in Samaria. Then said Ahab, I will send thee away with this covenant. So he made a covenant with him and sent him away. Ahab, king of Israel, is commented on being a merciful king. And yet we find these guys come over and says, let's go appeal. You know, it's a great benefit to rest on the mercies of others. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, chapter 15. 2 Samuel chapter 15. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29, excuse me, verse 19. 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 19. Then said the king to Atai, the Gittite, Wherefore goest thou also with us? Return to thy place, and abide with the king. Thou art a stranger, also an exile. Whereas thou camest up but yesterday, so I this day make thee go up and down with us. Seeing I go whither I may, return thou, and take back thy brethren. Mercy and truth be with thee. 
And Atai answered the king and said, As the Lord liveth, and as my lord the king liveth, surely in what place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also will thy servant be. And David said unto Atai, Go and pass over, and Atai the Gittite passed over, and all his men, and all his little ones that were with him. He said, where you are, I will be with you. Where you die, I will die. What does that mean? There's great benefits in resting on the sure mercies of another. He said, I want to be with you. Now, one of the most most, uh, historical, most blessed passages in the Old Testament along this line is, you remember what Ruth said to her mother-in-law? Don't send me away. Ruth, chapter 1. Now we notice in that that verse we read over there in the book of Zechariah that these folks are coming to a Jew. They're going to put their hands on his skirt. For we have heard that God is with you. Oh my, to come to that place. We have heard that Christ is the Son of God. That God is with him. Here in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 16, the scriptures share this, And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest I will go, and where thou lodgest I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. Now notice this last phrase, And thy God, my God. Of all the things that took place when when, uh, Ruth's mother-in-law and father-in-law husband and brother-in-law came over here to this place of all that we read all we know there was one blessing poured out and that was Ruth heard something she heard the gospel she says here in verse 17 where thou diest will I die and where and there will I be buried the Lord do so to me and more also if aught but death part of me where you are I want to be oh how valuable it is to have someone to rest on, that knows the sure mercies of God. Well, as we look at that verse of Scripture there, going back to the book of Zechariah, our time is about up, but let's look here at Zechariah one more time. In verse 23 of that 8th chapter, as we think about all that God has done for His people, I'll call, they'll come. What I say will be done. They will be brought out. Their gods will be taken away from them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people, as the covenant of grace declares. It tells us there that uh, the Lord of hosts, he shall has spoken. The inhabitants will come from one city, another city. They're going to come. Gospel will be taken to those people. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and pray before the Lord. Now notice that last verse. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew. Where you are, I want to be. I want to hang on here. What you say, I want to say. What you hold, I want to hold. What you are, I worship you, the true and the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. 
Now we're going to come back to that this verse of Scripture, Lord willing, next Wednesday when we gather on this uh, book of Zechariah chapter 8. We'll close out our study of the 8th chapter with looking at this verse. There's much to be um, looked at in this verse, and it's not eschatology or uh, uh, future, it's not end times, it's the glory of the Lord in the person of Jesus Christ. So we'll look at this again, and we pray that as we look through here, the book of Zechariah, the gospel, will come out and be made manifest to us.